welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 64 for Wednesday, April 26th, 2017. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. Joining me today is an esteemed academic who will be talking to us about his PhD and his dissertation, all of which I promise you ties back into video games. That is Dr. Noah J. Springer. Hello, Noah. Hi, how's it going? Good. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Excellent. So you and I met recently at MIT, that's the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Cambridge, Massachusetts, at an event that was ostensibly about diversity and representation in video games. We were both in the audience, and you started telling me about how you work at the MIT Press Publishing Company, and how you had, in the past year, finished your PhD. What is your PhD in? Yeah, so I graduated uh, in 2015. It's more like a year and a half at this point. Uh, but I, my PhD was uh, from the uh, now the College of Media Communication and Information, and I wrote my PhD on Reddit, which uh, I probably don't need to describe that much <laughs> anymore. You wrote it on Reddit or about Reddit? Uh, about Reddit. <laughs> uh, and in part on Reddit, I didn't ask me anything. And I have an archive of some of my primary source material that I have on Reddit as well. Yeah, I read through your AMA. There have been a ton of great questions in there, some of which may come up today. I hope you won't be repeating yourself. But I'm curious to know, what was the framework of your thesis? I mean, you wrote it about Reddit, but what in particular about Reddit inspired you to write a dissertation? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, to really get the understand where I'm coming from, uh, we have to go back to my undergraduate degree and in almost, you know, birth it's really understand framework. You got to understand entire life scope at some scale. But so this will be a uh, long podcast. It's, it's gonna be very long, very long. You know, it's gonna be take 20, 29 years ish. Uh, but my parents are both classicists, and so I was raised very deep, entrenched in kind of classical uh, art uh, rhetoric. You know, I taught, took Latin in high school, um, and as an undergraduate, I got my degree in art history. And as I kind of progressed, I kept being more and more interested in newer and newer technology and newer and newer forms of media. So as I entered my master's program, I was really interested in film. Uh, and then as I kept moving forward in television, and then as I entered my PhD work, I really started taking interest in kind of digital culture and digital technology at large. And right around the same time, this is probably about 2008 or so, uh, one of my friends who was a computer scientist introduced me to Reddit uh, when it was still relatively fresh. And I started going on there and engaging with the community. And I really found a kind of a place where I thought interesting discussion was happening. And there was a lot of interesting, especially political um, action that was kind of resulting that was emblematic both of a specific site, as well as larger trends across uh the digital networks of the internet. And so as I went to my PhD program, I, you know, my, my letter that I wrote to them at University of Colorado proposed Reddit as my dissertation project. And I didn't change. Um, and as I kind of went through the program, uh, Reddit was always in the back of my mind. A lot of my projects that I worked on during classwork were about Reddit. I wrote papers on meme propagation. I uh, did content analysis of uh, political discourse on our politics and things like that. And then when I decided, started my dissertation research, I knew, I mean, I continued. And, and sure enough, I was able to make it into a full-blown 
book, I guess, at this point. So uh, that's basically where it came from. So you were writing about online communities, digital communities, and specifically mm-hmm. Reddit. Did you have any particular hypothesis that you were trying to prove? Um, I, w- I wasn't really trying to prove a hypothesis. I was more, it starts out really as a um, analysis of how publics are formed. So if you look at, I, I, I come from uh, a school, I uh, come from a social theory you know, I'm, I'm not coming, I'm coming at this as, particularly as a qualitative approach um, and, and a critical approach rather than, say, a quantitative, uh, you know, I, I use some numbers, but I'm not analyzing masses of data. I did, I spent time in the community uh, approaching, kind of wanting to see what people, what the discourse looked like across boards. Um, and I really wanted to understand how the technology, the culture, and the politics of Reddit all kind of intermingled across the boards and then what effect and what results we could see outside of the Reddit community from these things. So one of the things that really inspired a lot of my interest and uh, really took it to new heights was when Reddit had a relatively influential part in stopping uh, the Stop Online Piracy Act in 2012 or so. Um, there was a lot of kind of grassroots development of uh, political action on the site. And then in 2015, we saw that there was really a lot of action to help support the uh, passing net neutrality under the Obama administration. Um, and, and Obama even went on, I opened my dissertation talking about this, went on Reddit to thank Redditors for their participation in the development of net neutrality and making that a thing that could happen. And so it seemed to me that there's a lot of, People in, in popular press at the time were talking about you know, slacktivists um, and how you know people in online communities are just clicking you know share and like and and without having any sort of real political effect and and meanwhile being on Reddit I'm seeing political action really be engaged in these sites and so I, I was really interested to explore that disconnect of how do we see both these sites as politically apathetic, but at the same time, it, seeing actual political results directly kind of from the grassroots organizations that we see on Reddit. And that's something that you don't see in more mainstream social media, such as Facebook or Twitter? Um, you can see it there for sure. And I I would say that since my dissertation, uh, I've become a little more pessimistic. And I'm, I'm not, uh, and maybe since the uh, 2016 results, the, the political action that you see generating on places, even like Facebook and Twitter, are not necessarily as progressive as I maybe would hope they would be. Um, But at the same point, there is definite generation across the web of some real action, but at the same point, the politics on which they are based are problematic, to say the least. Now, you said that you finished your dissertation in 2015, or that's when you graduated, but Gamergate Mm -hmm. happened in 2014, so I assume you were pretty deep into your research by the time that happened. Yeah, I'd started my research in about, I would say, April of 2014 or so, and so Gamergate pops up in August, and one of the things I'd been looking for um, as I had, what kind of one of my missions was to find a great example of a, a public evolving on Reddit, and so by public, I mean uh, a place that circulates a lot of text and a lot of discourse about a given topic that then people will come in and contribute to. And I'm drawing on 
social theorists, I don't know if you want me to get into how <laughs> to the, the long form of the kind of theories that I'm drawing on, but people uh, who are looking at societies in 18th and 19th century Europe that and how they were influential in politics through salons and developing a, a public sphere. And so I was looking at how a public sphere and then also complementary but diametrically opposed counter public would evolve on Reddit. And you'd seen these kind of exist beforehand um, where you'd have, for instance, you know, our politics evolves, uh, it comes up really early and, and develops a really liberal bent. Um, and then our conservative comes up as the kind of counter public to the major liberal uh, lean of our politics. But I wanted to see something that I would have direct access to it evolving. And so when I saw our Kotaku in action pop up, and you know, it was pretty quickly, it kind of popped onto my radar after it happened. I remember almost the day of or the day after these quins the Quinspiracy videos came out, I was I saw I didn't I didn't actually watch them at the time, but they kind of came up on my radar. I made a little note saying, Oh, look at this new subreddit coming up. And then they kept showing up in different places and comments in different places. Um, and all this kind of traffic was developing around Kotaku in action. And then at the same point, I noticed that we saw oppositional publics develop in, in our gamer Gazi, uh, for instance. And that really drew my attention. And then maybe a couple of weeks to a month after the initial uh, incident, <laughs> shall we say, the, the publication of the a blog post by uh, Janji, I think his name is. I really thought that's going to be uh, a great place to go and explore what the discourse looks like in these places and, and kind of how these publics and counterpublics have developed and how they talk to each other and how they communicate and what the political communication looks like between these two spheres, between the Gamergate and the anti-Gamergate, more or less. So you're saying that before Gamergate even happened, you were looking specifically for something just like that. I was looking for something that was both political and had two very easily oppositional groups. So that would so if because I'm coming from this framework of a public and a counter public, and I wanted something that would have two different groups that would be easily to understand how both they talk to each other and then how texts kind of circulate among them. Um, and so these, when this popped up, this seemed like a really great way to look at how the politics of Reddit evolve and then what happens once these kind of communities get up and running. And then also how they communicate with outside communities. So I, and my focus was on Reddit, but I also, I talk a little bit about 4chan, I talk a little bit about Twitter and how these, especially, you know, imager links <laughs> get pulled into Reddit's sphere and there are imager links of Twitter tweets that are talking about 4chan shots. And so you have this circulation, right, that goes all across these different media into the publics and the counterpublics on Reddit. And so Gamer, uh, Kotaku in Action, I should say, and Gamergazi um, really provided a great kind of case study to, to explore those concepts. So on one hand, you must have been excited to see this evolving because it gave you the opportunity to study something as it was happening. But on the other hand, what was your personal reaction to what you were witnessing as these two communities evolved? That is a that's the question, uh, because I really had to 
stop myself from just not going to Kotaku in action. I had to actively push myself to visit that site um, because it, to say the least, it irritated me. <laughs> um, my chapter, my dissertation on Gamergate is by far the hardest thing I've ever written. It was incredibly difficult to kind of force myself to go even just you know search through threads on threads on threads of them talking about these things that are inane and then also almost criminal sometimes um, and just like, races of sexism, misogyny, uh, transphobia, uh, you know, name it. It was regularly kind of filtering through these discourses. And so it was it was it was difficult and it was hard for me to to make myself really engage with the community too. And I often, you know, I, I engaged, I talked with several people. I talked to some people who were who were fine as well. You know, several members of the Gamergate community, we messaged over Red's private messaging system. And they were, you know, uh no harassment of me uh as a white male, uh cisgendered straight white male, in fact. Uh I'm not necessarily the person who's going to be targeted. So that doesn't necessarily remove any culpability from their from them, from the the public as a whole but it was it was definitely difficult for me to go through and expose myself to these opinions that are diametrically opposed to my own personal political belief and i tried to make sure in my dissertation to to kind of give their side of the story as much as i possibly could i, I wouldn't say i affect a neutral stance but i do think i tried to tell it from how they would want me to tell it and how you know i i describe it as a consumer revolt all these other kind of terminology that they that they pull out, uh, while at the same point, you know, fundamentally, my dissertation argues that it's a really problematic politically. It is problematic, and that you know, I and once we see the rise of Donald Trump, um, <laughs> just everything I saw that was popping up in the Kotaku action and in, in community, really, just all of a sudden, everything clicked. Everything was like, oh, look, this is the early iterations of the alt right in reddit's communities who are latching on to this you know ethics and gaming journalism which i can't even say without just smirking to myself because it's just ridiculous at this point <laughs> but everything that i saw evolve in kataka action has now been iterated in a larger grander scale by kind of trump's election and the rise of the alt-right uh, steve bannon uh richard spencer you name it you know i i, I the most emblematic thing of this is you know milo yiannopoulos is so huge in Gamergate. And then all of a sudden he latches onto the alt-right and then is their spokesperson until thankfully he has been <laughs> uh for the most part relegated to the sidelines. But you know, uh this is all kind of a year and a half before Trump's election, two years before Trump's election, this is all iterations of the same themes that we then now see that have really dominated politics for the last six months to a year. You said that you tried to represent Gamergators as they would want to be represented, but in your AMA, there were seemingly a lot of critics of how they were portrayed in your dissertation. One person in particular said that you, sir, are a Marxist, and Gamergate and neoliberalism are not Marxist enough, and that's why you don't approve of them. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, you can't please everybody is one way I approach this. <laughs> and, and fundamentally, uh, fundamentally, first, I'm not a Marxist. Uh, I, I lean very far left. But uh, I'm not revolutionary enough to be a Marxist, unfortunately. I, I'm a nice middle class person, you know. Uh, but I, uh, and you can tell in my answers on the, on that. Ask me anything that I mean. I disagree with them fundamentally. 
And I disagree with them, though, not because I came in with a predisposition to disagree with them. I disagree with them because I spent time with them. <laughs> I saw what they did and I read their thoughts uh, and I disagreed with them wholeheartedly. Maybe they're not Marxist enough with me, for me, uh, and they, I do fundamentally think that they represent kind of neoliberal paradigms, especially about identity um, and, and speech, but I think fundamentally, I tried to give them a fair shake, especially at the start. You know, when, when I started looking at Kotaku in action, I wasn't really sure what was happening. There were lots of names, lots of terms thrown around. I didn't really understand what they were. And so I really had to dive in. You know, I, I read through the entire wiki page and not Wikipedia, the, their own Gamergate wiki page description of events. I went through the entire timeline reading what they said happened. And <laughs> I came to the results I came to, uh, which were that this is a collection of people who are iterating ideologies that are not aligned with progressive theories and progressive political motivations. And in fact, I think fundamentally, we now see that they are an early iteration of the alt-right as we now have come to call it. Speaking of not recognizing all the terms that you were exposed to, you mentioned neoliberalism. I know what mm -hmm. liberalism is. I mean, you know, there's the Democratic Party is often considered liberal and social justice warriors are often considered <laughs> liberal. So, sure. so neoliberal, that sounds even better. So what is neoliberal? Uh, so neoliberalism is, uh, nobody, I would say this, first of all, nobody calls himself a neoliberal um, because it's generally a, a kind of pejorative term. It comes out of 1950s economic thinking, and uh, primarily it starts to be really emblematic of Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher in the 1980s. And tenets of neoliberalism include things like economic deregulation um, across the board. So when we see Reagan deregulate banks, deregulate media industry. Um, this is all a product of kind of neoliberal ideological and economic thinking, driving back to kind of the 50s. It's similar to libertarianism, but kind of at a grander scale. And one of the one of the primary things about neoliberalism that's interesting and useful to know is that it it, it is not partisan, in the sense that there are many facets of, for instance, uh, Clinton's administration as well as Obama's administration that are neoliberal. We see examples of neoliberalism very heavily in Reagan's uh, enforcement of the uh, removal of the fairness doctrine, which means that uh, news organizations no longer have to give equal weight to both sides of a political spectrum. And then in the 1996 Telecommunications Act passes under Clinton. And this ultimately leads to the rise of what we know as Fox News, because now we're able to have a news company that can only only has to provide uh, one side of the argument. They don't have to give anybody else uh, any sort of thing, any sort of voice. And so we start to see it divide and encourage partisanship in part of news viewers. Um, and this is all kind of related towards a deregulation of fundamental kind of uh, governmental institutions um, and banking institutions. And this is then, in my, in my dissertation, I argue this is being extended by movements like Gamergate, uh, into things like deregulation of identity. Um, and so, of course, in Gamergate, as well as on Twitter and on 4chan, this idea of anonymity is so lionized. And, you know, everybody, anonymous is the way to be because you want to strip all identity markers. That is, is deregulation. You know, it's saying that we don't want to have people have identities. Everybody's anonymous. And on the internet, no one knows you're a dog, um, except 
that's not really the case anymore, especially since revelations of Edward Snowden um, and some of these things that we see, uh, in fact, governmental power and observation and surveillance can establish pretty directly who you are, regardless of what you're saying. So this is really kind of a fantasy that you are totally anonymous online. And then also it's this fantasy that what you say is just words. You know, it's just it's just me talking, you know, that's, but that's not really how this works. They have effects on people and you can really uh, influence and, and harm people through the things you say across digital networks. And there's a continuing separation sort of, of digital life from real life that is, I think, unnecessary as well as can be very harmful because the things you say online, that's just me as, as an anonymous person saying exercising my free speech online, but without, and that's not going to have any consequences because it's been deregulated. We don't have to, we can say whatever we want. Our speech has been deregulated. Our identities have been deregulated uh, through networks like Reddit's network. But fundamentally, the network on Reddit connects to who we are as real people. And when you say to somebody, there is somebody on the other side of the computer reading that. And I, Reddit does things to try and emphasize that, you know, they have a little mantra, remember on the person on the other side of the computer or on the screen. But I don't think people do. And I think this is a product of kind of identity, neoliberal identity politics. So you mentioned the partisanship and only being able to show one side of the conversation. And we see that in Reddit and in Gamergate with these two cultures and countercultures, uh, Gamergazi and Kotaku in action. You talked about KIA as the subreddit where a lot of Gamergators congregated and where you did some of your research. But there's also that opposing side, Gamergazi, which is where the side that isn't Gamergate, if you, know, if you can split this into a, a binary equation, that's where the other community organized. Now, certainly they are very different in content and in political stance from Gamergators, but in terms of how they interact with each other, how they relate and oppose the other side, how they interact with the broader community and culture, are there things that distinguish KIA and Gamergazi, or are they basically two sides of the same coin? It's an interesting question. Um, I would say that one, one of the things that I noticed specifically is that Gamer, or Kotaku in Action and Gamergators at large are, are very earnest about their uh their movement sort of at least at least the, again i i you know i can't necessarily tell the person behind the screen's intention you know i uh but from the texts uh that i you could read you know everybody was very adamant that this is about ethics of gaming journalism uh this is what we believe this you know every they had manifestos um and things like that gamer gazi was very ironic and of course, there was irony and there was parody in the Kotaku action side, but the entire kind of subreddit of Gamergazi was almost, you know, exclusively devoted to to kind of parodying and then discussing these parodies. Um, and, and there were people who were certainly earnest and and on the Gamergazi side, and they were certainly believed that Kotaku and action and Gamergate were <laughs> negatively affecting people's lives, which I think they definitely were, but. I think fundamentally that the politics and the approach from Gamergazi's side was it, it, in some ways a mirror image, but a kind of a parodic mirror image, a satire uh, of, so, of some sort of Kotaku in action where, you know, Kotaku in action has this huge list of every single event that happens 
that proves that gaming journalists are unethical. Um, and meanwhile, <laughs> Gamer Gazi, just every time you know something came up, they would just put in quotes like "ethics and gaming journalism." Um, <laughs> and it seems that you know this is this is a uh, in some ways, if you, if you look at social theory, this is a, a feminist approach to politics to, to have irony and parody. Um, if you look at uh, her name, uh, lady's name is Donna Haraway. She argues that that is a inherently feminist po- political stance. Um, and so it seems to me that that through irony and parody, uh, Gamer Gazi was identi- uh, adopting feminist uh, approaches. And it's also rejecting neoliberal deregulation of identity and anonymity. They said just because you're anonymous doesn't mean your words don't mean anything. Just because you can say whatever you want on this forum doesn't mean those words don't have effect. And so they're rejecting this kind of idea that anonymity is the best thing to have, uh, which seems to be one of the primary kind of drivers throughout Gamergate um, is that, you know, we're anonymous online people, so we can speak the truth. But inherently, just because you're anonymous doesn't mean you're going to speak the truth, right? So it seems to me that they are, they are sometimes, in, in some ways, they are two sides of the same coin, but they're also different sides of an ocean, if that makes sense. Well, if Gamer Gazi has this sense of parody and satire to them, don't you think that may have exacerbated the issue by reinforcing Gamergators' feelings that their stances were being disregarded and not taken seriously? And maybe it would have been better if they felt listened to? That's that is correct. I, I would say, uh, but do you listen to fascists? <laughs> uh, that's only kind of a joke, but only kind of because I think again, if we take Gamergate as an early instance of the alt right, of you know Stormfront, um, of of people who are accepted that they're fascists, uh, you know, and this question is still being debated. Obviously, and we've just had this debate around Auburn. Uh, this is very recent. Auburn accepting people into their campus um, as uh, who uh, I think it was Richard Spencer um, to speak, uh, who is an avowed white nationalist. You know, uh, do we give him a platform? Do we have to listen to him speak? Um, and people in Gamergate, of course, would say, yes, we do have to listen to him speak because freedom of speech exists. So we have to accept the fact that people are going to say things we disagree with. Um, and we have to listen to them, and then we can argue them down with logic, and we can argue them down with rationality. But I think there's a real problem with that approach in the sense that I think that some people, rationality, logic, argumentation fails. Uh, that's not doesn't inherently convince somebody that things are correct. Uh, you know, there's this uh, there's a model of information. Uh, it's called the deficit model that people believe something because they don't have sufficient information to know what the truth is so that they're in a deficit. But as soon as we supply them with the correct information, they will change their viewpoint because they'll see, oh, I see. I wasn't aware of this fact before. Now I'm aware of it. So now I've changed my position. But fundamentally, I think that's not really how information transmission works because some people see there's something called the backfire effect where some people see, have a belief. They see information that contradicts their belief. And rather than saying, oh, this information is correct, they end up saying, oh, uh, actually, this reinforces my belief more and more. That information is, shall we say, fake news. Um, you know, that information doesn't matter to me because I don't trust the source, because I don't trust the scientific process 
um, et cetera, any number of reasons that they don't believe the information assumes. So this idea that somehow inherently logic and rationality are going to make somebody change their mind who doesn't want to change their mind uh, is not the case. So, and uh, Gamer Ghazi, to bring it back to the point, Gamer Ghazi um, was parodic and they didn't necessarily give Gamergate a chance to state their point of view. But I'm not sure that if they had, uh, it would have made a difference. And uh, Gamergate was able to state their point of view many times uh, across the front page of the internet, so to speak, uh, across Twitter as well, and, and 4chan, and any number of venues. It seemed to be, but for the most part, most people that uh, you know I trust their opinions uh, <laughs> rejected it with full force. And so it seems to me that even when they were able to be heard, which they were able to be heard, most people in who, who I politically aligned with were not fans. I was not either having dived in. You know, I, I gave them a chance. I gave them a chance to, I read so much <laughs> of their content um, and their discourse. And uh, fundamentally, I still disagreed with them. Sure. When I say that maybe KIA should have been listened to a little bit more, I'm fully aware that that's somewhat of an antagonistic question and one that creates a false equivalency. Sure. It's not one I believe because, as you said, gamer gators made their opinion very well known and we saw them for what they were. Mm -hmm. And as for this uh, deficit model, I read something very similar in the book The Information Diet by Clay Johnson, where he was looking specifically at the uh, political model, where when somebody believes something and then they are given information to the contrary, contradictorily, it reinforces their existing beliefs. Mm -hmm. And it seems like there are instances where it is impossible to bridge that ocean that you were talking about, where we have these two opposing sides and there's just, it doesn't seem possible to establish communication between them. Yeah. And I mean, I think fundamentally what we're seeing, what we see in Gamergate and then, and it's, I, I mean, everything I saw in the Gamergate discourse between Gamergate and Gamergazi has just been exacerbated uh, to the nth degree during the 2016 presidential campaign where, you know, how, how can we create common ground with a group that, seems so diametrically opposed to anything that we on the left agree with. And it seems to me that there must be a way, but it's this is a very difficult issue when we have communication networks where you can access any information to back up any point you want so that no matter what you do, if something contradicts you, you can just go to a different source and say, oh, well, this other source backs me up, so clearly my opinion is correct. And so we live in, you know, this this concept of post-truth um, has been gaining traction, um, where it's, you know, the question of what is real and what is truth is not necessarily the defining factor for what people believe. And so even if you were able to convince gamer gators that, I, I don't know, that journalists and gaming were very ethical <laughs> that wouldn't necessarily change their opinion it's not gonna you could show them all the information um and this is where i think it comes down to we have to rely on something beyond information and we have to move to something beyond kind of rationality in terms of uh convincing somebody politically to change their views and and something more towards empathy more towards uh, a politics of engagement and a politics of 
you know, you have meeting somebody in person and talking to them in person can really change a point of view. I not, I'm, this is where I fundamentally more pessimistic after doing my research about the state of digital culture and the potential for political progress is because I'm not sure that's, you're able to do that very easily over the internet. Um, you know, that Reddit maybe is useful for affecting some sort of public policy change like net neutrality, but I don't think fundamentally it's able to make a non-racist, a racist person into a non-racist. I, because they're always able to go somewhere else. Whereas if, a non-racist person is to sit down with a person of color or a transphobic person is able to sit down with a trans person. They would have in-person empathy and, and discourse and connection that would be more effective in changing their uh, political opinion than, you know, me arguing with them over the internet. You know, I just, I'm, I've become definitely more, since my dissertation, I'm more pessimistic about the potentials for political progress and change via digital networks. And part of it is from people on Gamergate not like learning. <laughs> they don't they they just don't seem to didn't seem to figure it out. And it's kind of faded away at this point, but I've also stopped paying attention to it. So that makes it feel like it's faded away for me. Um, but I it seems to me like it's definitely people have stopped paying attention to it a little bit more uh, at least. So that's a good thing, I guess. Well, that's one of the questions I had for you, which is that you and I are talking about Gamergate almost three years after it happened. Is this conversation even relevant anymore? I would say it's relevant uh, just because the politics and, and the, I would say Gamergate itself is not necessarily relevant in terms of did Zoe Quinn um, have sleep with somebody for a good game review, you know, I, that's and and everything that results off of that is just I don't know, kind of pointless. But it seems to me the chasm between the publics and the counterpublics on Reddit is still increasingly evident. Especially if we're going to talk about Reddit specifically, Reddit has is now in the top five largest websites on the internet in in new Alexa data, and so it is. You know, on Reddit, it's even more important than ever that and then also since the election of Donald Trump uh, and the rise of the alt-right, uh, the prominence of Breitbart, Steve Bannon in the White House, etc., we continue to see that these same political debates that were really emphasized in the Gamergate collision and in this conflict um, are still incredibly prevalent throughout American society, at least. And then also, as we see things like Brexit um, and the upcoming France, French election with Marine Le Pen, they are also internationally, um, especially in Europe, this question of, of globalization versus nationalism. You know, uh, th these debates all can interrelate to the kind of debates that I saw pop up in Arakataku at in action in Gamergazi. So it seems like what we saw with Gamergate and Kotaku in action on Reddit back in 2014 and since was almost sort of a warning of what was going to be happening with Brexit and with Trump. And yet it seemed, sounded like you were still hopeful that digital communities and Reddit specifically could reverse that trend and that we would live in a little bit different world than the one we now find ourselves in. So should we have seen Brexit and Trump coming? Should when we when Gamergate happened, should we have said this is a sign of things to come? Uh, we probably should have. Uh, I, I I didn't. 
I was very hopeful uh, in terms of the 2016 election, as most people were, it seems to me. In terms of, you know, we should have seen Brexit as a sign for Trump as well. Uh, and But it seems to me that maybe I should have read a little, I, and I, I tried not to take, extrapolate too far from my dissertation research. You know, I tried not to be like, oh, well, I saw this at Gamergate, therefore, you know, we're all fucked. <laughs> uh, that's not, that I avoided doing that because that's not exactly good theorizing. Uh, but at the same point, you know, retrospectively, in hindsight, is always 2020. We can. I. I do think that fundamentally, it, this is uh, an early iteration. I wouldn't say necessarily the earliest. Um, you know, the culture wars that are emblematic, that are, are expressed in Gamergate as well as currently. You know, they go back at least to the '90s, um, where you have the first call out against political correctness. Uh, you know, Newt Gingrich was arguing some of these same kind of debates. But you definitely see a lot, you know, see in Gamergate, you know, you see like one of the best examples, you see the rise of Miley Yiannopoulos um, in the Gamergate community in 2014, only for him to become, you know, a a lead editor of Breitbart. Uh, And thankfully, no longer so. But, uh, you know, you see so many things in in the Gamergate debate, if we want to call it that, uh, that are still recurring. Uh, issues in the political stage today. Uh, and I just wish that, you know, somehow, and I'm not sure how you do this exactly, but somehow that rather than having the right nationalist populist movement evolve, uh, it would have been on the left. And, you know, I was a Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, I, I mean, of course, I voted for Hillary Clinton as well, but I was, I, I like Bernie Sanders. I like his message. It was kind of the left populist uh, vote. And it seems to me that that also existed on Reddit in a very strong, in a very strong manner. Um, and I'm not going to go say, you know, Reddit is not one thing or another. It's like the internet in the sense that it is, it's everything. You know, it has. If you want to find something on Reddit, you're going to be able to find that political ideology to back you up. Uh, and so I would never go say that the entirety of Reddit is this or that. Uh, but at the same point, I stopped going to that site after. <laughs> Uh, the election, because every time I went on there, it just evolved to a debate about Donald Trump. And that was giving him too much publicity. And so, you know, I, I go back occasionally, but I, I don't sit around and browse it like I used to, because I've just I've got I'm tired of tired of the debate. And I don't think the debate can be won on Reddit. I think it needs to be run one in political action, effective political action in, uh, you know, connecting with people one-on-one and, and changing people in the meat space, so to speak. You had said that the way to convince people is not through science or fact, but through empathy by sitting them down in front of each other. And you just mentioned introducing them to each other in the meat space. Whereas when you started this dissertation, you had the hopes that the digital communities would provide that venue, but it may have actually done just the opposite by exacerbating the disconnect between people by not requiring that they encounter each other face-to-face. So what was your hope that people could develop empathy or whatever it was they needed to connect with each other if they couldn't see each other? Well, I think mainly my hope came from uh, both personal experience um, as well as as things I had seen sort of happen where, you know, personally, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think I... I I've I've never, you know, I never dated anybody that I met on the internet or, you know... I've never really developed personal relationships with people I met anonymously, which is fine. And it's fine if people do. 
Um, but I, I, you know, I encountered ideas and cultures and concepts online regularly throughout the aughts, you know, before I ever started my dissertation research. I, you know, I encountered a lot about the world online that I thought was fascinating and, and it really, I was interested in. And so I saw an incredible potential there as, as many people have, and many people still do the incredible potential to connect communities, cultures, individuals through digital networks. Um, and I still think that exists, but I think that at the same point, and I think this was under considered, especially in the development of sites like Reddit, whose goal is to connect people and create community, but the, the fact that in creation of community, you also divide communities. Um, I think that is under considered when people are developing digital technologies and platforms and that it's often very kind of utopian uh, when people posit a new concept. You know, it's this is this is going to be great. We're going to make this website. People are going to be able to vote each other up and down. And like the best ideas are going to go to the top, <laughs> but the kind of flip side of that, of this kind of echo chamber um, that results from crowdsourcing information, uh, you know, isn't necessarily considered and, and the regulations that maybe are necessary on a site like Reddit to avoid certain aspects aren't considered until it's too late, you know, until somebody has been at one of the, one of the first signs that Reddit was not, <laughs> necessarily the greatest place for me at least was uh the boston bombings when all these people came together and identified the wrong person and it seems to me that you know crowdsourcing information can be very valuable but it can also be really dangerous um and we need to make sure that as we continue to develop technology which i mean it, technology will continue to be developed we need to make sure we're keeping the negative impacts of this technology in mind. Um, and I mean, that's a concept that goes far back, um, at least the development of the car. <laughs> but it's, you know, not, it's still people, when we innovate in Silicon Valley and elsewhere, uh, it's not always, the critical engagement with the results of the innovation are not always at the forefront of the people who are developing platforms' minds. It surprises me that more empathy isn't developed online because we are now dealing with a generation of internet users who are growing up with this medium. For the majority of their interactions, they may be occurring online instead of off. And I think people of your and my age were at the forefront of that. I know growing up, I went to a very small school where there was nowhere to hide from the bullies. And so I made all my friends online on CompuServe and through dial-up bulletin boards. And that is what taught me that the things you say and do online do matter. And there are other people on the other end. Maybe that's because even someplace like CompuServe, when you find the right forum, it's still a small community and you get to know each other. Whereas the internet is just so large that every interaction is a drive-by interaction, especially in a place as large as Reddit. And you don't necessarily get to know them unless you're, say, Again, breaking it down into a smaller community like a World of Warcraft guild or something that falls within Dunbar's number of 150 people or fewer. Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree. And I think scaling community is, I don't, I don't know if it's possible. Uh, and, you know, Dunbar's number you mentioned, 150 people, that's the amount of people you can kind of keep in your orbit. That is, seems astute in terms of, I don't, 
I personally, I don't have, and, and this is, you know, I don't try and connect with, I don't have thousands of Facebook friends. You know, I keep my group tight because I don't, I can't engage with that many people. And it seems to me that to be able to scale, you know, to build for scale on a site like Reddit for to develop communities um, is difficult. And I, I've seen it in several communities across that site where at the beginning, it's a really fun little place to chat around with people about something you're passionate about. But by the end, there's 150,000 people. And <laughs> I'm actually just to, to, I'm thinking about uh, the, the hip hop head subreddit. I'm, I'm a big hip hop fan. And I still think that's it's it's a one of the better ends of a large size scale subreddit on, on the site. There's a lot of really uh, moderators who are really actively involved with containing and shoving out some of the the worst aspects of Reddit. Uh, but at the same point, I was on the subreddit when it was under two thousand people, and I, I was there as it as it grew, and it was it was awesome. There was so much underground music. I was being exposed to all sorts of new great music. But as it got bigger, it got worse, you know. And not even necessarily like the content got worse too. It started to focus on the same few artists. I was exposed to less diversity in my music, um, and and so I think the idea of of taking a small community and just blowing it up. And making it huge is is perhaps impossible. Uh, I know I wouldn't say it's just absolutely out of the question, but I, I'm not sure how I would do it, and I'm not sure people in Silicon Valley. Uh, and I'm, I'm just saying Silicon Valley is general for people who are developing websites and, and and new platforms for communication. But I'm not sure that they're inherently considering all the negative implications of such uh, acts. Yeah, I really don't know a way around it either. You really can't cap a community. You can have people self-select, as I mentioned with the World of Warcraft Guild, but mm -hmm. the nature of the internet is that it's just going to keep growing, and it's in the best interest of sites like Reddit and any site that serves ads and is monetized to have as many eyeballs, as many sessions, users, and page views, and time on site as possible. I would say this is where, if anything, I'm a Marxist, <laughs> because... I think fundamentally the problem is that sites like Reddit are developed on a capitalist model and their goal is to end up being profitable. And I'm not sure if Reddit's profitable yet. It wasn't last time I checked, but it maybe has nudged over the line to becoming a profitable company at this point. But as, as long as the end goal for the site, for the community is to produce more users and produce capital for the company who's in charge, I'm not sure you're going to end up having a productive, a progressive political movement evolve out of it. Instead, it's going to result in kind of neoliberal policies where it's going to result in, and, and neoliberal is economics, right, is about freeing up markets, deregulating markets to generate more capital. And so Reddit, one of my main, main kind of conclusions about Reddit for my dissertation is that it reemphasizes neoliberal economic policies in that it's deregulating identity, deregulating speech in order to deregulate the market of information so that it can generate capital off of it. And I think that the progressive politics that I saw at some of the initial points are 
an anomaly rather than the uh, the rule of the site. So is the answer for us to vote for somebody like Bernie Sanders and be democratic socialists and eliminate capitalism as a factor in the equation? Because even lately, there's been a debate in New York City with the installation of the artwork Fearless Girl, uh-huh. where she is facing down a bull, which is the most you know, patriarchal representation possible of an inherently patriarchal model, which is capitalism. You know, how do we get capitalism out of the equation or should we? Uh, This is where I uh, really stop having answers. I I guess that is a little bit beyond the boundaries of your dissertation. I mean, I have, you know, I have thoughts and I, it's definitely beyond the boundaries of my dissertation. And it's, I feel what, so what if, what if, if you look at neoliberal theory, and critique of neoliberalism, one of the major critiques is that it's impossible to think beyond it. So that no matter how we consider things, it always is encompassed within a neoliberal framework. Um, and the internet's similar in, in the sense that it's it's difficult to think about something beyond the internet, right? How, how do we escape the internet at this point? It's everywhere. It is all around us. We are part of the internet. The internet is part of us, right? We're being embedded with chips, you know, we are, our lives are quantified. How do we escape this process? And, and similarly, capitalism is, is, it's hard to think beyond it. And I'm not, uh, I don't, I don't have an answer in how we can start to develop beyond capitalist models of economies. I'm not, I'm not pro-communism. I think that a little more democratic socialism is useful. I think we could definitely look towards countries in Scandinavia who have implemented that as some really a real positive move towards uh, political reform uh, that can be beneficial for all. I mean, we look at any kind of metric of how successful a country is. Norway's on top, you know. <laughs> uh, Sweden is on top. But the problem is, and this is always right. How do you scale? Because Norway and Sweden are fairly undiverse communities that are not, you know, they're not as big as the U.S. uh, or China or Russia or something like that. How do you scale up from that small useful? And so I like Bernie Sanders. I thought he had had useful ideas. Uh, But at the same point, if we were to implement the same strategies that they implement in Norway and Sweden in the U.S., are they going to scale? I'm I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, I'm not an economist. I'm not a I'm not in policy making. Um, I'm in <laughs> academia, <laughs> and so I, I, you know, I, I could throw out suggestions, but at the same point, um, I'm not sure how useful they would be. I just I know that there is, there must be a better way, right? There must be something else we can do. I'm just not sure exactly what it was. And in my dissertation, I try even for Reddit, I don't, I try not to be prescriptive. I'm just, I'm descriptive, right? I'm, I'm describing what I see and, and critiquing what I see. I'm not saying Reddit, go do this and it'll fix all your problems. That's definitely something I try to avoid because I don't necessarily know what the correct answer is. I just know that I can spot a problem <laughs> when I see it. <laughs> so since your dissertation was descriptive and not prescriptive, was there a goal that you set out to do with your dissertation that you feel you accomplished when you get when somebody reads through your dissertation and gets through to the final chapter? What is their takeaway? One of the things I thought I, I did well was I gave a really thorough description of Reddit as a platform. If you look from you know Gamergate is just one chapter of and we spent most of our time talking about it, but I also have a chapter really going through a thorough analysis of their economic policies, like their advertising models. Uh, I look at uh, 
alternative uh, aspects and cultural aspects of it. I look at some of their technology, uh, you know, some of their algorithm models. Um, I look at, and then in my final chapter, I look at, uh, do you know the red pill? Only as a matrix reference. Uh The red pill is a wonderful, and take that with all irony intended, subsection of Reddit devoted to toxic masculinity, more or less. It's like Gamergate times a thousand. It is, uh, it is, it is worse than Gamergate. I will straight up say that. You go take a peek if you want, but it's it's about um, what do they call it sexual strategy, and about how like it's 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 like the pickup artist but mixed with a really strong alt right ideology, and it's really it's a real nasty place. I, there's also a subreddit called the Blue Pill. I, I talked about this in my final chapter a little bit, um, and how they kind of have discourse back and forth. Fundamentally, what I think is that. The method of information distribution on Reddit, which is alternative to you know newspapers or books, you know this is this is something that's it's it's a different way of looking at things. But at the same point, it still begins to reinforce some of the same hegemonic models of society that that exist across the board. But go look up the red pill if you want to hate yourself for ten minutes. <laughs> As if our current political environment doesn't make me do that already. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's a it's a nasty place, and it is a reference to the Matrix too. But it's it's a it, it was I saw I actually came across that before I came across the Gamergate subreddit because it had been established. And if you look at I have statistics somewhere in my dissertation about the the cross population between the two, and it is significant. Uh, it's like I, I want to say like I don't know. You have to I need to check my dissertation for the numbers, but it's like something like 15% or 22% or something like that of people on Gamergate, on Kotaku in Action were on the red pill as well. But I don't remember exactly what the stats were on that. Let me see if I can draw those up real quick. Don't I recall you also had stats about people who were in Kotaku in Action were also on Gamergazi? <laughs> yeah, there, there were some people. And I, I, I wasn't, you know, because the stats I got were, it wasn't my own statistics number, statistical number. There was a subreddit, I think, that had that did this across a bunch of different subreddits about, and they would go and, and say, here are the cross numbers for how many people have belonged to this subreddit, also belong to that subreddit. And there were some people um, who belonged to both. Um, and I'm not, I, my theory uh, about who they were, were people who were like me. I mean, for instance, I belong to both. I subscribe to both subreddits. And, you know, that doesn't mean I was necessarily on, the Kotaku and action side of things. I, I was just trying to follow the discourse across both. So I, my theory is anybody who was subscribed to kind of both was more interested about what people were saying rather than agreeing necessarily with one side or the other, but not a hundred percent sure on that. Oh, here it is. Okay. It's, I don't actually have anything about the red pill, but I have uh, our men's rights has a 15% percentage of users are similar to Kotaku and action. Is that a lot? It's it's not a it's not a negligible amount, but uh, you know there's there's higher percentage with members of Gamergazi in terms of uh, for instance, uh, shit Reddit says gaming community has 22 percent correlation with Gamergazi uh, against men's rights has a 20 percent correlation with Gamergazi, but again Gamergazi is also a smaller population. Uh, you know there by the time I was done with my dissertation there were. I think uh, 40, uh, I have 35,000 subscribers to Kotaku in action, uh, but there were only about 10,000 to Gamergazi. So 
and you would expect that much from something like Reddit, which is primarily male dominated. Uh, you know, it's, it's diversity is not the name of the game on that site necessarily. So I, I, I'm not actually, I tried not to uh, necessarily derive any results from that 15% number about men's rights. I thought it was interesting to note that that is, uh, you know, there are certain correlations between subreddits that uh, can be useful sort of in terms of just looking at how communities develop. And so I was especially interested in the fact that, you know, you have, you know, Kotaku in action evolves, the whole, the, the name itself evolves from Tumblr in action, which was devoted to making fun of SJWs on Tumblr. And so there are these kind of, you know, these evolutions of communities off of other communities that kind of trickles on down into smaller and smaller areas. We talked about the red pill as some place that will make you hate yourself for 10 minutes. And obviously there's a lot of misogyny and other issues with the Kotaku in action. Can somebody who's listening to this podcast and given the kind of audience that this podcast has, can they join the Gamer Gazi subreddit and feel relatively safe about doing so? Yeah, I would say Gamer Gazi uh, definitely would be for a member of your audience. I would think they would they would probably enjoy it a little bit. It's uh, in some ways it's uh, it was a, a an area a space of uh, catharsis for a lot of people who were uh, antagonized either directly or indirectly by the Gamergate movement. You know, Kotaku Action, as soon as it was founded, began popping up to the front page of Reddit. And, you know, it's just like R. The Donald was a big subreddit and, and still is. And often they had to change the algorithm on Reddit when that came out because it was just completely tearing apart are all which is all the subreddits combined into the front page and made are all effectively unusable unless you wanted to read the donald and so they actually had to actually change the algorithm to adjust for that um but gamer gazi was uh, in, in most ways a, a reaction sort of to the success of attack action because people were so frustrated with the gamer game movement that they needed somewhere to to vent and, and to and to parody and to create satire and um, you know to to react to these annoying people who continually had a voice in the dominant culture of Reddit and they wanted this was a, a you know the counter public to the to the public that was Kotaku in action and so it was very I, I would say members of your audience would definitely uh, I you know I haven't been there in a year ish. Um, so I, I haven't been there recently, but I, I would assume that most members of your audience would enjoy the content on, this, on that subreddit. <laughs> I have been a lurker on subreddit for years. I don't tend to post much, certainly not my own original content, but even less so replying to other people. Because I find, depending on which subreddit you're in, it's a very tough audience to crack. It's a very critical audience, and I don't find that they're very welcoming to newcomers. I even asked on Twitter, do most people here on Twitter use Reddit? Because I find it a very difficult audience to, or a very difficult community to join. And everybody who took the time to reply to my tweet said that they had had the exact same experience. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's very interesting. Um, and I, I could definitely see that being the case. Uh, Reddit is a series of in-jokes for the most part. Uh, you know, if you are in on the meme, <laughs> you can get in. And one of the problems I have with it, especially as it's grown, is that uh, the discussion and, and the interesting 
comments that I found when I first started there have basically degenerated into, you know, if you know the joke, you'll get the upvotes. And so if you can get in early and say the right thing, you'll be lauded. <laughs> uh, but if, if, you, if you say something that goes against the groupthink, you, you will get shut down. There are communities that are not the case. I would say Gamergasm would be an example of a community that should be relatively welcoming to newcomers. Um, and you don't necessarily need to just be part of the, and, and as, as your listeners are probably also, you know, part of the anti-Gamergate movement across digital networks at large, you know, you'll probably get some of the jokes that are existing. But I, I do think it can be, the site itself, Reddit can be relatively intimidating to newcomers. I generally don't recommend people uh, go to Reddit anymore. I used to, uh, I, and I used to be like, oh man, this site's so great. And people would go visit and they would have fun. But I started noticing early on that my, my female friends and my friends of color were not big fans, which I noted. Uh, it kind of in my mind, I was like, that's interesting. And it definitely it speaks to, to white men. There's, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but there's something that is definitely targets the white male audience. But of course, there are always, there's a community called Our Black Ladies that has uh, it had a few thousand members when I was on there. Let's see. It is now running at 13,000 subscribers. They were, I, I, you know, I wasn't, I did not participate. I'm not a black woman. I, I didn't feel that it was my place to necessarily engage that community. I, but I, I, I kind of looked around on it. Uh, one of the co-founders of Reddit, uh, Alexis Ohanian, had mentioned that as one of his favorite subreddits. <laughs> and so there are, I mean, it's like the internet at large. There are scary, unwieldy areas that are just insane. Uh, but there are niche corners that can be really enjoyable and can really speak to your personal experience and really uh you know there are small areas that can be progressive but it's hard for me to recommend that somebody would just who has never been to start going i think a lot of people didn't start going to reddit until after dig sort of destroyed itself with a update several <sighs> years ago that just yep. created a mass exodus so yep. If you can't recommend people go to Reddit, where do you suggest they go now instead? You tell me because I've been <laughs> trying. I've been trying to find my my basic go to is I have I use RSS feeds. I, I go to a bunch of different blogs. Basically, I, I immerse myself. I, I use my Facebook actually a lot, but not to participate in communities. I've kind of removed myself from participating online for the most part. But, you know, I get my news from New York Times, Washington Post. Uh, I get my pop culture stuff from, like, the AV Club and Vulture. And then I find, you know, especially in my position at the MIT Press, I encounter a lot of new authors, academic authors, who I don't know. And, and I acquire, I, I help acquire in uh, digital humanities, uh, new media studies and things like that. And so I'm always like, oh, here's a new author I haven't heard of. I find their personal website and they're going to take me to links to places that are, you know, they trust and they have people. I'm, I, and one of the things I think is fundamentally the case is I, I, since we see the internet as a site of decentralization, right, these sites that try to centralize content like Reddit, like Facebook, like Twitter, that try and funnel everything through one platform are maybe not going to be the most effective way for you to get content that you like. You're going to have to really go out and struggle to find 
useful and valuable sites. And I know I have, especially since going Stockpoint Reddit. I I don't I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, I don't have a single site to go to. I, I uh, frequent a variety of different places, and often in terms of my news, I rely on newspaper news online. I don't have any subscriptions, but <laughs> I like to go to newspaper sites, and that's where I want to find it because I trust I trust journalists. Uh, rather than I trust, you know, I trust editors rather than I trust a bunch of, of random people on the uh, on the internet to tell me what is valuable information. I do think that there is definitely a role for curators, and I believe Reddit tries to do that with their upvoting mechanism. But mm. I'm I'm not sure that crowdsourcing that sort of device works well. I think having somebody at the New York Times or Washington Post or curating your own sources through RSS feeders. I am a big proponent of Feedly. I, mm-hmm. you know, I had people come up to me at PAX East just last month and ask me, what should I read? What sources do you recommend? And I said, I recommend you curate your own over time by trying a whole lot of different sources, find the ones you like and putting them into your RSS reader. A hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I think that's honestly the best, the best way. And even my friend who introduced me to Reddit in 2008, I, I, when I, the, you know, when Trump was elected and I was like, I'm done with this site. <laughs> I was like, where do you go for your stuff? He's like, everywhere. Like you can't just don't have it centralized through one source because that inherently is going to start clouding some of your aspects. You need to be able to draw from a variety of sources that you think are valuable. And I, I think one of the answers actually to this whole conundrum and to this whole concept of information overload to, to fake news, um, and this is coming from a kind of pedagogical perspective, but uh, we need to increase programs for media literacy across secondary education and even into primary schools. This is the only answer I have to how we can start addressing the issues I saw in Kentucky Action, the issues we see in the 2016 presidential election, is that we need people to begin to grasp understandings of digital culture, understanding, like learning to code at a younger age, learning to understand how the internet functions and what the cultures that develop on there and the information that's spread through there, how it works much, much younger than we are now. And, and so we're sending out, you know, when I was teaching at college, I was sending out 18-year-olds who don't really know what sources to trust. And when you have something like Reddit, which you know sounds very authoritative, it's the front page of the internet, and it has a very easy-to-understand mechanism for how information is voted. If it has the most votes, it's obviously the best information. But that's not really the case. It's the most popular information, maybe, but far from necessarily accurate. And so I think if we encourage media literacy um, and, and digital literacy at, at, in younger ages, we can start to kind of combat some of the major problems we've seen uh, arise in digital culture, for sure. I, think, I definitely think that teaching individuals to curate their own sources and to identify what is good news and what is not is very important. I actually teach a graduate course in the publishing field. I was thinking about doing a unit on fake news and how to identify it this semester. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was really excited about it, but then I thought, well, these are publishing students and they're graduate students. 
And I decided either at that point in their age and in their education and their career, they should know better and this would be redundant or it's too late for them and they're not going to listen. Yeah, that's probably that's that is probably accurate. That, that needs to be something that's enforced, you know, I don't know, in grade school or something. I, but before graduate level, at least. <laughs> I hope graduates in the publishing industry would have a – I hope. I, I mean, I don't know. I saw some undergraduates who were struggling with these sorts of issues for sure. <laughs> right. And I think getting them earlier on in their education is vital. Yes, I 100% agree. I think uh, earlier we could begin instilling literacy, uh, literacies outside of just reading and writing, uh, including reading and writing, of course, but about understanding digital content and, and also televisual content and, and film, like uh, understanding media at large would be incredibly valuable for us as a society. The only downside to curating all your own sources and identifying what are good, these good sources is whether you're going to the New York Times or Washington Post or Games Radar or whatever, you're probably not going to get the same sense of community that you would in Reddit because a lot of these outlets, even though they enable comments on the bottom of the post, they're still primarily a broadcast medium. A lot of the communication is still one way. And that's definitely true. And that's where I would say you you should if you if you're looking for a community and I I'm talking about RSS feeds more in the sense of just where I'm getting my news you know where I'm getting my information from community in you know since my dissertation I haven't necessarily been looking for community online that much um, I've been I got burnt out <laughs> from from Reddit I was I'm done with internet communities um, but I think there is value for communities online. Um, and but I'm not sure where to go. I would say smaller the be- is better. Smaller and active um, is probably the best place to go. But again, I think that those are you have to search them out. You have to be pretty active in keeping up to date on where you want your community to be. And you know, once you find one, it can be valuable. But it also needs to be you need to be ready to if it if. You know, if you if it turns, which I think that you can see communities turn uh, into something that's unwieldy and and negative and, uh, uh, you know, a place you don't want to be, you need to be ready to pick up and leave, too, at some point. So we've covered a lot of topics today. We've covered Reddit, the election, fake news. We've been both descriptive and prescriptive in a lot of different areas. Is there anything we haven't covered? I mean, I didn't I confess I didn't read your dissertation in its entirety am i missing anything that our listeners would be remiss to not know um i think for my dissertation we pretty much covered but i will say this i think as two heterosexual cisgendered white men uh we have not talked a lot about identity in terms of coming from a perspective of a minority or transgendered person or a marginalized community at large um and one of the things in my dissertation i i really didn't feel appropriate doing that either uh i am not here to speak for the people who were attacked by members of gamergate that's not my place uh, i'm interested in what the discourse was but i'm not here to say speak for you know transgendered women who were you know threatened on twitter or elsewise and so and no matter what we could kind of come to a conclusion here i think that other other people who are from marginalized communities are going to have other viewpoints that are at least as valuable, if not even much more valuable uh, than mine on this topic. So I would recommend, you know, finding them 
<laughs> that that's you, but to your, to your listeners, you know, to, to anybody who's interested, you know, uh, don't just listen to me, uh, you know, go out and curate your own sources. That is very true. I try not to have a lot of straight white cisgendered men on this podcast. And mm-hmm. at, at the event where you and I met, we were in the minority. Oh, yes, we were. You were not the only person at that event who I approached about being on this podcast. And there will, Oh, good. Yeah, there will be other guests on this show who don't look or sound like us. Great. But given how specialized your knowledge was, I thought it was still worth having this conversation. And I really appreciate it. You know, anytime, I think it's probably true for any academic, anytime somebody reads your research, it's, uh, it's exciting and somebody wants to talk about it. You know, I, I, I jumped at the opportunity for sure. Well, I appreciate that. I will never be in that position because I don't have the ambition or the diligence to go as far in your education as you did. I have only a master's degree. Oh, I'm not sure it was worth it, but you know, <laughs> I had fun. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, I'll never speak bad about grad school, that's for sure. Well, good. I, I definitely recommend higher education. I think my students are having a great time this semester, just like I did when I was in their shoes. Sure, I bet. So there will be links in the show notes to your AMA, to your dissertation. All those links can be found at polygamer.net. If you want the short link, it's plyg.me slash Springer. Are there any other links or resources you want to mention here? Uh, you could go to my website, noahspringer.com. Uh, there's not a lot up there, but you could go visit. It's I've got some stuff. I've got a couple posters. I'm working on developing my blog back up. I, my website got hacked last November or so. I don't think it was related to anything about my dissertation, but you never know. But I take everything down. And uh, But you can go check it out, noahspringer.com. Uh, it's got some stuff. Very good. I'll include that link in the show notes. Dr. Springer, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. Polygamer.net.